You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 317. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast here on the Outdoor Station. And we're producing this uh, in the second week of March 2011. And as everybody is probably commenting and, and uh, recognizing themselves, the weather is certainly beginning to improve and those darker nights or the long dark nights are starting to reduce and it is just beautiful to hear birdsong in the morning and at night time as well before the, uh, before the sun goes down. And it does make you feel like spring is certainly on the way. Uh, speaking to a lot of people um, and ourselves included for that matter, uh, it certainly gives you the feeling that, uh, okay, now's the time to get out and perhaps... Uh, Start our camping or outdoor adventures, and uh, perhaps even even go on a lightweight bivy trip. I feel I have a, a lightweight bivy trip in me about to emerge, and I need to uh, I need to go and play with some new toys. Uh, we've had um, quite a few new uh, items come into the shop, and I've got a box full of bits and uh, clothing and uh, accessories and all sorts of bits and bobs which um, I'm just dying to go out and, and play with and, and put in the test in the field so I can give an honest feedback on them. Uh, and, um, well, you know what it's like when you get new kit. It, it inspires you to, uh, to, to want to experiment and do a bit more. Uh, and I know I've been a, a bit lax over the, uh, over the recent uh, months with the podcast, but uh, as I've explained before, it's a question of fitting it all in. Uh, and uh, thinking about this uh, this lightweight bivy trip, I'm also thinking whether to attempt to video it as well as do an audio piece. Um, uh, it, yeah, it's more technology to carry with you, more weight and more things to consider. And it also slows you down as well if you want to tell a story properly. Uh, so I'll consider that. But I think uh, I think that might be of interest to people if I, I try to do a bivy trip and just just uh, showed the uh, success or the disaster or whatever and also you can see the products uh, in use as well and, and perhaps I can give some feedback on that so um, leave that one with me and uh, I'll do my best to uh, to consider that um, right this show this show actually is quite interesting not that they're not all quite interesting um, but uh, it's got a couple of cracking interviews on this now um, as I say it's March time and we've now had the the outdoor show down in Excel which we didn't go to we had the new um, show uh, which was tacked onto the caravan and camping club uh, show which was called the outdoor leisure show I think uh, they've changed the name subtly up at the NEC uh, and then a couple of weeks later, there was the camera show, the focus show, which used to be a trade show, but now is a consumer show. Um, and interestingly, going back to the first one, the outdoor leisure show, it was uh, it was in one of the smaller halls at the NEC. Um, it's difficult here. I mean, from a sort of um, observational point of view and, and certainly watching the history of the show at that event over the last four or five years that we've been going, it's certainly reduced down from the four halls, I think it was, to a very small hall and I didn't really think there was an awful lot of value there. Uh, however, it depends what your your interests were. Uh, and anyway, Andy and I did a, a round-up piece of our, our thoughts uh, at the show um, and there were certainly plenty of families there. It was half-term as well. 
So there were plenty of families there, uh, and uh, kids were obviously uh, experimenting and trying out new techniques or just having a go at things, really, uh, which is uh, which is always good. Got to be encouraged. So uh, anyway, we've got um, an interview from the Outdoor Show, which is with uh, Jim Evans from Alpkit. As we all know in the uh, outdoor circles, Alpkit have built up a great reputation over the years for being uh, decent, honest, straightforward blokes. Uh, and the company follows that ethos right through. And uh, Jim is is very honest about uh, some of the aspects involved in manufacturing. Uh, some of the uh, increases in prices, how it's affecting them, and also um, the ability or um, the changing abilities to get hold of materials to produce products with. Uh, so I think uh, I think everybody will be interested in, in what Jim's got to say uh, when Andy chats to him. The the other interview was from the Focus Show. Um, here we are in March 2011. There's a new product coming out, a new camera from Panasonic called the, he says, looking at a bit of paper, FT3. The FT3. Um, now, why is this particular of interest to outdoors people? Well, obviously, we're all enthusiastic about taking pictures and videos and uh, and so on. And, and ideally, we want rugged cameras, waterproof, or at least quite water resistant to put up with the rigours of, uh, of carrying it with you and, and in capturing your trip. However, this one has got a few other bells and whistles on it, which will be of a lot of interest to people. Um, there's a lot of talk at the moment about convergence from the photographic world, and they're talking about convergence of um, still photography and video photography in the same box. Um, but the, in this particular case, the convergence that I'm referring to refers more to outdoor activities and equipment that you need for that and photography. Uh, so without giving too much away, I shall uh, let that interview unfold a bit later on. But first, let's have uh, some feedback. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of feedback over the recent months from uh, different people, uh, uh, which is really interesting, really appreciate that. So the least I can do is uh, take the time to read some of the comments, and thank you very much for your time for doing so. If anybody does want to write to us at any time, uh, that's the email address is info at the outdoors station. .co.uk. That's info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. And I've got um, half a dozen here I just want to uh, whip through quickly and comment on, perhaps. You're listening to the award-winning UK Business Podcaster of the Year. This is The Outdoor Station. The first email we've got in is uh, short and sweet, and it's all the way from Vancouver in Canada, uh, from Teresa Weir. And she just simply says, I love the podcasts. I've learned so much from them. Thank you for all your work and sharing your outdoor adventures. And that, of course, is our pleasure. And uh, thanks very much for your support. Um, a regular correspondent is Bob Andrews, uh, who is uh, based over in Wales and who's um, uh, a paddler, Welsh paddler. He's a, I think he's a kayaking enthusiast. And he says, um, hi, Bob, thanks for latest podcast number 316. You again mentioned the way that the digital revolution is possibly becoming our master. Your own success with podcasts is a case in point that we, the listeners, expect there to be more and more of them. That's tr certainly true enough. I know some of people's people frown on GPS and the like, but at one time, maps and compass were a newfangled idea. And like you, I'm happy to embrace them all. At the start of Podcast 316, you mentioned Upton on 7, and I thought uh, that a good podcast... Could include a chat with the map shop, um, but later on you mentioned the very shop. I've visited that Aladdin's Caves and Maps, and their service is like yours, second to none. 
Um, and I must admit, uh, Bob, yes, I do intend to go back and speak to them. I actually did discuss um, an interview with them and um, never saw it through last year. So I'll go back and, and... In fact, if people wanted to um, drop me an email and ask me uh, any particular questions, uh, particularly for the map shop, um, look them up on, on the internet, uh, the map shop at uh, Upton on 7. Uh, I'll make sure I take those questions with me and I'll, I'll ask them at the end of the interview. Uh, to continue, he says, uh, I hear the comments about uh, the recent outdoor shows, and without wishing to give you even more work, is there any chance of a show in your neck of the woods aimed specifically at the lightweight camper? Those of us new to backpacking cannot afford, uh, cannot always find one place to view and try kit, and there seems to be an increasing number of cottage industries out there, but nice to feel the goods and, of course, seek advice. Uh, very true, Bob. You've mentioned it to me a couple of times before, and yes, we would be uh, interested interested in getting involved in something like that um but we're back to the old uh, the old time demands again um and um yeah let's just keep that one on the back burner um okay uh darren holiday hi bob i emailed you a few weeks ago regarding your rant on new technology uh, and made a comment about every man and his dog now having an app well forgive me bob but i have sinned how could you i've succumbed to the purchase of an android phone and need to know when you will be releasing your app <laughs> oh behave and do you know of any good walking related apps uh, the phone i have has an atrocious battery life especially when using wireless or gps enabled features anyway take care bob and look forward to the next podcast darren well thanks for your comments darren and uh, i must admit i have been looking at apps and looking at um any particular way that we could use them, either from the outdoor station or from backpacking light. Um, and the jury's still out on, on the best way. Um, but I'm sure, uh, I think there's, um, there's, uh, there's, there's an opportunity there if, if time was on, the, on our side. We just need a bit more, think about it a bit more, really. Now, on the subject of the, um, the 316, the podcast, this is where I, I said about um, technology. It's great, it's useful, hence these podcasts, but also sometimes it's a little bit... Um, it's a little bit like a stick we're being beaten with, um, with uh, those in charge of our lives, as it were. But uh, anyway, on that subject, let's continue with this from Phil Winter. Bob, just replying off for listening to Podcast 316, um, and thanks a lot for doing these. I felt I needed to reply to your comments on the use of technology. On the 3rd of July 2005, I had a heart attack whilst walking on the fringe of Leeds. I phoned 999 myself and feel that that saved my life. I was unconscious, and when the paramedics arrived, I was shocked three times by a defibrillator. Yes, um, if I'd been in a wilder area, it might uh, still have been too late for me. See the Robin Cook MP story. I don't think technology should make you more afraid, but should give you more confidence in case it is needed. You use a compass to navigate rather than the sun or moss growing on a tree. It's a tool to make things easier. Similarly, a GPS, but you still need to know how it works and how to use the alternatives. Sometimes you can just have bad luck, but good tools and training should help you gain confidence in the outdoors. Never be afraid. Regards, Phil. Thanks very much for sharing your story, Phil. That uh, just goes to show you there is uh, the other side of the coin about the technology. It does have its place in, uh, in the outdoors, and uh, thankfully it saved Phil's life. Right, um, just a couple more. One from Dan Armstrong. Um, 
High Outdoor Station. Love the programmes. Nothing short of brilliance. Thank you very much. The production values are excellent. I do try. Uh, what I like most is the richness of sound from the infield reports. The sound of the rain or streams put me, puts me back in my tent. Foul weather is the best weather for sound effects. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for that. As a new father, as well as a NHS doctor, imaginary play is the closest I can get to my trips for many months. Keep it coming, even though I have over a 100 to listen to. Well, no problem, Dan. I shall do my best, and uh, you never know. It might encourage your young family to experiment in the wilds as time goes by. Uh, and finally, Steve, I would just like to say how much I enjoy your podcasts. I can only imagine the effort and work that goes into each one, but I can assure you that they're very much appreciated. Thank you very much, Steve. Backpacking is my hobby, and I find that your website is very informative, with many hints and tips. When researching new pieces of equipment, I often check your website, and after purchasing a number of items from you, I've been really pleased with both how the products have performed and your customer service. That's very kind of you, thank you. As such, I've had no hesitation in recommending you to my friends. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, keep up the hard work and see you on the hills. And Steve, and he's come via the TGO magazine. So thanks once again, everybody, for uh, writing, taking the time to write. Uh, and as I say, um, if you want to write to us with any comments on these podcasts, or as I've just mentioned, uh, if you have any questions you'd like me to ask the map shop at Upton when I do the interview with them, please write to me on info at theoutdoorsstation.co.uk and that's info at theoutdoorsstation.co.uk right now let's get into the uh, the first interview with um, jim evans uh, and andy hal saw him at the recent outdoors leisure show at the nec I'm at the Alpkit stand, which is a firm favourite of these um, shows, not least because they offer stunning value for money with some quality kit. And I'm with Jim Evans, and we're standing by um, a new range that Alpkit are quite excited about, um, which is a range of tents. Yeah, so we're going to be uh, launching these later on this year. Um, we've gone really for the top-end expedition market, really with the view that um, with hopefully the prices we can charge with them, any sort of day-to-day user can buy them as well. As you said, these are these are not backpacking tents, but they are um, bomb-proof, high-mountain expedition tents, aren't they? And um, they look quite interesting. So, should we go and just have a look at a few? Yeah, yeah. If I take you through the through the model, let's start with the smallest to start with. So, this is a two-person uh, mountaineering tent. So, it's a four-pole geodesic. Um, we call it the limpet. So, it's a comfortable two-person tent. Um, it is a good size, isn't it? You wouldn't, you two, two big lads wouldn't have any problems in there. No, no, we've made the inside um, sort of sleeping length about two twenty, so that should fit most most folk. Um, then we could give them reasonable size vestibules, um, based around sort of a very very traditional four pole geodesic design, which has been tried and tested all over the world. Um, we've tried to kind of give it an outkit twist, um, rather than just copy kind of what's on the market originally so you know we've worked quite hard on the doors to give the doors quite a lot of um, features so they've got lots of ways you can open them you can prop them up with um, trekking poles to get different configurations of venting um, small window in the front so you can see the conditions outside um, internally we've given loads of pockets uh, and loads of hanging tabs so there's plenty of room to really sort of manage your equipment with inside your tent rather than just 
trying to pull it all out of the rucksack and get it. And, and if, you're mount, if you're involved in a mountaineering expedition, you do want that, don't you? You need that kind of space and think, uh, ability to organise everything. I think that's something that people overlook in some ways, um, especially people sort of coming into to mount, mountaineering and doing their DV. Of that organisation in your tent and managing equipment in your tent, you know, that controls the condensation, it controls how comfortable it is to sleep in your tent. You know, you wake up in the morning and you've put your um, jacket in the wrong bit and you've ended up getting the sleeve wet and it just makes sets your day up wrongly. So, you know, equipment management inside your tent, we think, is key. OK, so that's the limpet and that's a good quality bomb-proof uh, two-person shelter. Uh, the, the others here are quite ginormous, aren't they? Well, yeah, we've then got the bunker. Um, this is a... We're actually finding this is a super comfortable two-person base camp tent. Uh, you can squeeze up to four people in the bunker. Uh, again, we thought about the internal storage quite, um, quite carefully. Um, on this one, we've got two options of, of vegetables. Um, one that takes the inner tent a little bit larger and one, one end takes the, the inner a little bit smaller. Um, so we're kind of asking consumers here what, the, what they prefer, really, how, how it works for them. Um, but again... A very strong this is a um, six kind of a six pole geodesic tent this one and again bomber in the wind you know it'll stand up to most things and then we progress on to the behemoth on the stand that we've at the moment yeah, it's called this the, is huge yeah this, this is called the, called the hex and we think there's a there's a big potential gap in the market for um, yes this will be sold to people going to the Himalayas and on expeditions um, and you'll kind of see it at the base of, of different mountains. But we think there's, there's a good market for people that want to go and camp on the Gower, but they don't want to buy the big uh, sort of behemoth-type um, shelters that yeah, are around if, now, if, if you see what I mean. If, the, if you had um, uh, a child or a couple of small kids and you wanted something you were reasonably confident wasn't going to blow away in the wind, this, this strikes me as being ideal. I mean, I, I go camping with my family in this one, and, it, and it's ideal with my daughter and my wife. You need, all three of us can stand up in the tent without problems. It's got three doors. There's acres of storage. Again, inside, there's, there's pockets all over the place, hanging points all over the place. Um, ironically, there's a snow um, gathering hole, which I can feed a wire from the car so we can run the DVD player in the car inside the tent. So you, you know, we see this being brought by families as much as we see it being brought by kind of expedition um, groups. Okay, so these um, these are not backpacking tents, but they're expedition tents or they're base camp tents. But of course, you know, a lot of us when we have small children want something like that. Um, they 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 look pretty robust, and presumably presumably they're as competitive as all Alpkit products are price wise. Yeah, we haven't. There's 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 a lot going on in China, which is where they're going to be made, like the majority of people's tents. Um, so the fabric prices are rocketing at the moment and labor, there's a massive labour shortage. So we haven't got the final prices. But, we're, yeah, they'll be competitively priced along the kind of outkit model. We're not, we're not, we'll, be taking our kind of, we'll be taking our margin to keep on developing products and survive, but there's not going to be a, a hefty whack on top to, to line our pockets with gold as such. OK, so if you're looking for a good expedition tent or a, a good base camp tent, these are going to be pretty good value for money. Now, you did say to me earlier on, before we uh, switched yeah, the mic few, on... Yeah, there's that a few people that have seen our Delta, which is the kind of... We're trying to aim... We're trying to get a, our, our aim, and it's not the absolute goal, is to try and get a two-person backpacking tent um, under a kilo. And that's a realistic two-person backpacking tent, so we're not going to make three-centimetre-long um, unobtainium poles or something like that. Um, 
we're, we're trying to make it realistic, but we're not going to compromise the design to hit that kilo weight. If it ends up being 1.1, yeah. that's what we're... So, so we've had a, a couple of prototypes of that. It's not perfect. We haven't brought it to the show. We kind of postponed it for a year, launched these ones, these mountaineering tents, um, and then work on a bigger range of backpacking tents for, net, for 2012, possibly 2013. OK, so that's something to look forward to next time. Nice to know you're, you're not forgetting us, but... Um, if you are looking for an expedition tent or a base camp tent, these do look really good, solid value for money. Now, what about the rest of the Alp kit range, Jim? Because, um, of course, it's ever popular and uh, very well, good value for money, well, particularly guess, when we look at things like the down bags. Yeah. Well, I guess um, for us, we almost we didn't really have a launch of our new range of mats last year. Uh, they kind of snuck onto the scene. Obviously, everyone knew our fat Eric that got a big following of car campers, and we had the wee Eric and the slim Eric. Um, we really wanted to up our game on, on self-inflating mats um, and we've been, we've been courting a factory for quite some time um, to see if they'd make our mats and they really are, I would say, up there with anyone else that makes self-inflating mats as, as good as them really. So we've, we've developed a range that we think is comprehensive, value for money uh, and really there's something there for everyone. OK, we're well, just looking at the mats earlier. Um, certainly they... Um look as tough and robust as the, the ones I've normally used from the um, uh, more obvious famous manufacturers. But um, what kind of options do we have here? Well, we kind of start really with our kind of our base range. This is really aimed kind of the, um, entry level, moving up from a foam map, just getting into DV, um, that sort of thing. So it's a solid, solid core mat with a basic polyester shell. So that, Full yeah, length? Uh, full length and two-thirds length. Um, in a couple of colours, you know, that will last you a lifetime. But, you know, if you want to progress up from that, then we've then got the aero range, and that's really our lightweight um, end of the market. So the foam's been cored. We, we, we steered away from tapering the shape in our early models, um, but then um, through customer comments more than anything, of, of sleeping in a lot of modern... Um, backpacking tents you actually need the taper to They're fit narrow, yeah. you need the taper to fit two mats together um, so we've got the aero in full length and and uh, two thirds length and we've got the numo which is the uh, a more traditional airbed but it's it then got a synthetic insulation in the upper third of the of the mat and just to give us an idea of the the base price for these i mean the aero range is about kind of as Outkit comes on, it's interesting that I become more and more detached from the general selling of the product and the, the, the pricing. But the, um, the Aero 120, which is the, t- the two-thirds mats, 35, and the full length is 40, uh, as opposed to the base, which starts at 25 for the two-thirds and goes up to 30 um, for the full length. Yeah, well, they're, they're very, very competitive price-wise, and just inspecting them and handling them and feeling them earlier, um, they would seem to be every bit as good yeah, yeah. as the, um, the competition. We think so. We're we're very pleased with how they've come. You know, we've had to tweak the prices up just more than anything because of what's happening in China. And that affects us a little bit quicker than it affects a lot of other brands on their retail prices. Um, But, yeah, we're we're, we're very happy with them. And then, you know, the the base and the aero as the sort of lighter weight ones. And then we've got the, the dirt bag which we, we're finding is that most people in Outkit, that's becoming our second mat, that's becoming our car camping mat. We can carry it if yeah. we need to, but it's got yeah. enough space and comfort without taking up half the boot. And then we've got the dozer for the people that really want to right. clamp it up in their tents. Now, a lot of um, lightweight um, backpackers and walkers are going to be drawn to your um, down sleeping bag range, which um, 
is incomparable really in terms of value for money, I guess. Yeah, we've obviously got the Sky High, which uh, it's a bit deceptive really. We call it our entry level model um, in comparison to most other manufacturers. Um, it's, a, it's a mid-level bag. Um, so we do the 600, the 800 and the Sky High 1000. Um, and we do those in shorts and longs, and they're, they're incredibly well received. And the numbers match to the weights, don't the they? The numbers match the filling, um, the fill weights inside them. Um, obviously, if we do a long or a short, we don't adjust the fill weight. So, if you buy the long, you get slightly less down yeah, sure. per centimetre. And if you're short, which um, we sell a lot to a lot of ladies, you obviously get more. So you kind of get that slight bit more insulation. But no, they're a very staple uh, uh, product for us. You know, churn out the door all the time. So, unlike the pipe dreams, which we're struggling like mad to get hold of the fabric, um, I think this is the a product that we've really struggled with. It's been well received. It's won best in test in magazines, best value in magazines. Um, but when we launched it, um, it was only really the technical outdoor brands that were using these super light, low denier fabrics. Um, so that suited us. We could order the fabric. Um, we could make a batch of sleeping bags, we could sell half to two-thirds of them, we could order the next batch of fabric, and it kind of worked for us. The lead times on the fabric, now you've got all the big players in the world using these super light fabrics, the lead times on the fabrics are going crazy. You're talking and presumably to... you're sourcing from the same people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so unless we can put these big forward orders in, which is big mega bucks and stuff like that, so that's something we're struggling with as the outkit model, really. We're not going... Because we don't go to trade shows and sell to the retailers a year, 18 months in advance. Uh, that's something we're struggling with, and we, you know, we apologise to customers that they can't get hold of the pipe dreams. Well, it's nice and refreshing to hear somebody be as honest as that, because um, we all know, um, anybody connected with the industry, that for a lot of kit there are actually very few manufacturers now, most of them focused in China, and I mean, things like titanium products have had a, a bit of a roller coaster over recently. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah titanium's kind of a weird one, really. Um, the, we, we source from a couple of factories uh, and the prices on both they don't seem to fluctuate together, they definitely kind of go up and up and down the place, they're really, you know there's really only one or two Chinese manufacturers, so which you, you know, you'll see our products on, branded with other product people's names You know, we're not going to reinvent a V-shaped tent peg and change our whole shape for the sake of changing our whole shape you know, we're going to spend our time redesigning our sleeping bags or redesigning our um, our tents. There, there's a couple of ideas of um, different mug and pot designs on the on the sort of table, um, but they're still quite a long way off. It's quite hard. Things things like that are quite hard to develop over offshore. If you see what I mean, if we can find a UK manufacturer for this sort of stuff, which I think is starting to become uh, more achievable. Is that um, because of changes in exchange rates, or just I, that people are now looking around at other markets? Um, for us, we've always wanted to manufacture in the UK where we could. Um, and we started off with our boulder mats. And I think we got bitten a little bit by the sort of UK manufacturing. We got a bit down on it. We, it, didn't, it wasn't as good as we wanted it. They cut corners to try and cut costs. I think now, because China, the, you know, the dollar's not as ex, um, a good exchange rate as when we started. There's big labour shortages in China. Material costs are going up. Shipping costs are going up. I think now there's much more feasibility to, to manufacture in the UK, especially with the outkit pricing model. You know, if we could make our sky highs in the UK and price them the same as another manufacturer, but it's got a made in the UK brand on it, we'd love to do that. 
So our prices might tweak up, but it's um, kind of economic and uh, sort of carbon footprint of getting made will be a lot smaller. Sure. So um, it's the usual Alp kit um, model that we've we've come to know and love. Um, we've got the tents and the backpacking tents you talked about in the future. Any other little gleams or dreams of things we should uh, look to be uh, excited about next year? We're... We obviously launched socks a couple of years ago. Um, I think we rushed into socks a bit too quickly uh, and, and didn't get it as right as we'd like to do it. So we've kind of taken a bit of a back step and redesigned the whole range of socks. Um, I've got some... If I kind of sneak you around the, the yep, back come. of this, um, this stand, I can show you either. We're just going through a sign saying no entry into the hallowed back room of uh, the Outkit show. Sorted out in any shape oh, or form, okay. and they're literally hot off the um, hot off the knitting press, let's say. But we've totally revamped our socks um, to give it a more coherent range. So we're going right from the sort of lightweight, um, active sport end of the market, all the way up to a kind of a, the, the heavyweight mountaineering kind of socks. Um, so you have to forgive me because these aren't in any order. You've kind of caught me a bit a bit by surprise. So we kind of start with an everyday sock. Um, if you're anything like me, you probably wear outdoor socks every day. You don't just keep yeah. it for the hills. You wear them every day. Even if it's you just want a brand name on the end of your toe, um, I'm exactly the same. So we've kind of addressed that with, um, with our everyday socks. We're going to do this as long and as short. Um, this is out of a bamboo yarn, so it's super soft. It's not a particularly technical sock. Terry footbed. It's really soft if you kind of give that a... Yeah, it's, it's nice and soft and uncomfortable. Uh, muted colours so you can wear it with your suit at work or to a wedding or whatever but you know secretly when you take your posh shoes off you've got a brand name on the end of your toes that kind of it's reminds kind of one you of those kind of secret outdoor kind of yeah, uh, fraternity kind of, signs yeah kind of reminds you of the mountains uh, when you take it off I've, I've been to a few weddings recently where I could have uh, done re- reminding myself of the mountains <laughs> so, uh, so that's the first one and then we've got um, we kind of progressed that up a little bit this, this colour's totally wrong um, but we we'd, experimenting with um, Primaloft um, yarns which was in, uh, it's not really, a couple of years old that Primaloft launched this and this is basically the Primaloft um, synthetic fibres um, twisted with merino um, yarns um, we like and, and trust Primaloft as an outdoor brand and thought this was a natural thing to experiment with so I mean mixing the merino and the synthetics going to give you what properties Jim? Uh, the the, the Primaloft obviously gives you uh, really good insulation properties obviously it's a hollow fibre uh, yarn the same as it's in these synthetic um, jackets it's an incredibly soft yarn it's incredibly fine as well um, if you look on the I mean it is a, it is a very soft and fine wearing yeah, sock yeah. there's no need to wash that ten times before it softens up is there? no no definitely not um, the ladies that are actually knitting them in the factory when they're bunching them together have remarked how soft the, the Primaloft yarns are um, in fact I'll give you a pair of the Primaloft ones to take away and you can give me a bit of feedback on how you think they go um, so we're looking very much the, the range is kind of best around, based around this sort of Primaloft merino yarn so we should get the sort of the durability and the warmth and the um, uh, toughness of the wool combined not to mention the anti-pole yeah exactly <laughs> Come on, that's always important on well, backpacking. We it's enough to know how how good they are at the anti-pong side. We'll certainly test that out we'll, for you. We'll give it to Nick. He definitely uh, he's got the hot feet at Outkit. 
So, yeah, basically the range is based around that Primaloft yarn. There's a couple of Coolmax ones thrown in there, and then we're also um, working on, if I can dig down and find them. These ones feel quite... These are a tactile yeah. um, sock. So when you put them on the fingers, they feel quite um, grabby on your fingers. They catch all the... Yeah. Um, sort of roughness on your hands when you put them, put them on your feet they're the softest socks in the world amazingly durable uh, tactiles used in a lot of running socks um, so this is going to complement our adrenaline that we already do um, yeah, you can see how that would um, that would work for any kind of impact kind of um, running trail running jogging, biking yeah, anything yeah. like that uh, so we've kind of got the tactile sock and then with that tactile then comes through into we're going to be doing a liner sock um, now these are going to be super bright. Um, the idea, obviously, a liner sock. It's going to go under another sock. So why don't we kind of jazz it up and make it a little bit more, a uh, little bit fun, more fun? So these are going to be a bright colour, tactile yarn again, super thin, um, with venting on the top. Uh, and the idea is this would sit under any un, any of our sort of mountaineering and walking socks. Um, in the walking side range, we're going to have three. Um, we're going to have a lightweight. Um, which this one is, which I'll give you a pair to mm-hmm. take. Um, that's got terry along the footbed, um, a bit of terry down the front, um, in front of your shins and um, over your sort of uh, top of your foot, uh, and then just standard knit through the rest. So that's kind of a lightweight one. We'll be then effectively doing the same sock, we're going to call it the midweight, and that'll be terried right the way through. Um, and that's buried in the box somewhere. Oh, there it is. So this one's teared right the way through, and you can really see, feel how soft the Prima Loft. Yeah, that, that's going to appeal to any leisure walker, isn't it? That's yeah, I mean, very similar for, for to kind what of, they'd expect to see, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so those two socks will kind of last you most of the year, and then if you're really taking it into the winter, then they're going to be doing. We haven't got a name for this one yet. It's heavyweight mountaineering sock was its um, prototype name. Bad boy is what the um, the sock company that knitted them called it. And that's really nice, again, uh, wool-based, um, super warm sock, basically. Again, you'd probably wear it with a liner. So you can use this anything from skiing to ice climbing to winter mountaineering. Um, so hopefully the ra- that sock range, when it's complete, um, and on the site, that there's a sock there for everyone. Whereas I think our sock range before was a little bit bitty and didn't really... Comp- well, it's certainly a comprehensive range, and um, they um, just on first inspection and um, feeling and touching them, they, they stand up to almost anything else. I, I guess you'd see in the high street. Uh, definitely, definitely, and, and and I think the biggest thing that they're made of, you know, we can get from our our warehouse in um, Ilkeston to the guys that make this in under ten minutes. So you know, we couldn't get we couldn't source these socks any more local. So that's the that's the biggest thing we're, we're kind of. We like about this they're just a super nice company to work with just down the road from us okay well the great thing about alpkit is that you're pretty easy to find it's uh, alpkit.com that's where we're at we're always on the web always at the end of the phone if you need to get hold of us and yeah any suggestions people have got on kit fire them in okay well thanks very much jim um there's no doubt alpkit has made um a big impression on the uh, UK gear scene quite rightly because you're you're really driving quality and, and driving price and giving us great value for money so good luck with the next 12 months and cool. we look forward to those backpacking tents thanks very much good to see you you're listening to the outdoor station
award-winning producers of podcasts to inform, inspire, entertain and encourage people to enjoy a healthy outdoors lifestyle. Let's move on to our second interview in the podcast now, and that's with Peter Kelleher, who is the Lumix Product Management Assistant for Compact Cameras. And we're looking at the forthcoming FT3. It's a brand new camera. It's coming out uh, very, very shortly in the UK. uh, And it has uh, got some amazing features of particular interest to outdoors users everywhere. The FT3, really, really great camera. We're really excited about it for this year. So it's got all the bells and whistles. It's 12 metre waterproof, minus 10 degrees um, freeze proof, uh, 2 metre shock proof. It's dust proof as well. It's got a 28mm wide angle lens, 4.6 times optical zoom, full HD movie, it's got altimeter, barometer, compass, GPS tagging, it's 3D photo mode, it literally has got everything you need if you're an outward bound person. That's that's a very impressive uh, list of spec there. Um, So first of all for people that haven't heard about this, it is a compact camera. It's, uh, I've not seen a camera that's got GPS built in in such a way, and certainly barometer and altimeter for, yeah. for many outdoors people, that would be proved to be of interest, particularly if the battery duration is, uh, is sensible. Obviously, yeah. you're not going to get much chance to do much charging when you're out and about for a few that's days. correct. Yeah, I mean, we'd recommend for anyone going out and about to get an, an additional battery because obviously the last thing you want is to run out of battery when you're halfway through for a trek or a hike or whatever you're doing. Um, the battery life is good, but obviously using the GPS it's constantly refreshing um, you've got so many features on this that it just makes sense to have an optional battery on the side as well just to make sure um, As the uh, the GPS is refreshing on a regular basis even yeah. when the camera is switched off presumably it's still using some power and I presume it must be the same with the barometer and the altimeter as well are these all independently switchable? Uh, yes they are in terms of the GPS uh, specifically it refreshes every 15 minutes while the camera is turned off so it keeps up to date with where you are um, there is a menu option that you can go into and just simply switch it off to save on that refreshing and that will save you battery life as well. So we would recommend that if you want to sort of store as much battery life as possible. And uh, we're talking about battery life, but actually yep. have you got an estimate of what the, a normal use battery life would be? Yep, roughly 310 pictures um, in full resolution. So um, if you're looking to take any more than that, obviously, again, the optional battery is recommended. Okay. The, uh, you said it's got high-def uh, video yep. uh, and obviously 3D as well. We'll come on to 3D in a second, but yep. the high-def video, does it give you options to have uh, 3-4 screen and 16-9? And uh, yes, you can switch between the, the different options in the menu again. Um, it's 1080i, so really good quality picture. Does it use standard SD cards or are you talking about high-definition cards now? Um, yeah, SD cards, but we recommend for um, HD movie that you use at least a Class 6 so our gold range is ideal for it. Class 10 as well is recommended for high-speed burst shooting, and this has got a really high-speed CCD, so we, we recommend that you use at least sort of a Class 6 or Class 10 card. It's a, it's a very powerful piece of machinery. I mean, yeah. finally, the 3D. Obviously, 3D now is being banded about as being the new thing. Yeah. Do you think that's got, got much of a life? Um, yeah. I mean, we're seeing the trend in terms of the TVs that it's all shifting towards 3D, and we think it's going to be more important so in terms of 3D photo, at the moment, maybe you don't have a 3D TV, but it's sort of future-proofing you. You can take the 3D image, which is really, really easy to do, by the way, um, and that takes a 2D image and a 3D image. So you sort of, you've got the 2D image for now. If you buy a 3D TV in a year's time, you can look back, see it in 3D, and 
I'm pretty sure you'd be quite happy that you did that. It's incredible how it's moving. Yeah. Um, finally, uh, I've seen some of these other, uh, some of similar cameras, com- compact outdoors cameras, should we say, yeah. um, that the the seals haven't lasted very long on like the battery cover and the and the chip cover and yeah. so on. Um, uh, how much testing has gone into this sort of product? Oh, our, our factory do really extensive testing. Every single component on this camera is made in-house by Panasonic, so we've got ultimate control over everything. It's been new and improved from this year, all the seals and everything. So whilst the FT2, FT10 have been really, really good, we've tried to improve it even more. And uh, it really helps to keep control of it by doing everything in-house. Well, it's a nice, uh, it's certainly a, a very, very um, a pocketable shape. It's, yeah. uh, it's small and compact being the word. So that's the DMC FT3. And what yeah. sort of price are, are we looking at that? It's likely to begin at about £350. Um, similar to the how the FT2 began. That's the top of the range. We've got the FT2 and FT10 also in the range. Well, let's, let's, let's come on to those. So let's yeah. just repeat that again. With the FT3, then you're getting, obviously, top-of-the-range camera, very, very durable, yeah. um, great depth for, for waterproof uh, use, but also the barometer, GPS, uh, altimeter, and... Compass and compass on there as well which is makes it a very very interesting multi-purpose tool for yeah. for the outdoors user so moving uh, along to the other items which are in the range we've got yeah. the ft3 then you've got the ft2 and the ft10 yeah. so let's just talk about the ft2 which obviously was the uh, the top of the range until recently okay so the ft2's got all of the sort of rugged features it's got 10 meters waterproof two meters shock proof minus 10 degrees celsius freeze proof dust proof again it's in terms of versus the FT3, it doesn't have the GPS, doesn't have the compass, altimeter and barometer. They're all brand new technologies for us this year. Um, it's HD movie and it doesn't have the 3D photo mode as well. But it has got HD. It's got HD, not full HD like the FT3, so it's 720. Um, so slightly less featured but equally durable. Um, and what sort of money were you talking about? Mark? It's going to be around sort of 250 to 300 pounds in the market. Okay, and then uh, yet another one in the in the range with um, uh, obviously a bit more affordable. Uh, tell us about that one. Yep, we've got the FT10 as well, which is the entry model. It's going to be around 180 pounds, um, and this one really is sort of our entry level tough product, but it's ideal for families and if you want to leave the camera with the kids and not worry about it sort of falling on the floor, dropping in your drink, it's perfectly fine. It's three meter waterproof, 1.5 meter shock proof. Again, it's minus 10 degrees freeze proof. Um, really, really small pocketable camera as well. Uh, it's got the four times optical zoom, HD movie, 720, um, and it's 14 megapixel CCD. So really good all round camera. So really, I mean, it's bound down to uh, the amount of uh, free change you've got in your pocket, really. They yeah. all do the same sort of job for the average outdoors person, the person that's into canoeing or yeah. walking or whatever it might be with, with wet weather and not really concerned too much about uh, keeping the camera dry all the time. Yeah, I mean, obviously the FT3, perfect for someone who really is outward bound, the hikers, the trekkers. FT2, very much the same, but maybe if you don't need the compass and things like that. So maybe it's for more for water sports and things like that. And then the FT10, that's just really good sort of entry level that's perfect for families and, uh, and sort of just if you want a rugged camera. Well, 
that pretty well brings this podcast to a close. And thanks once again to our guests, Jim Evans from Alpkit and Peter Kelleher from Lumix. And, of course, to Andy as well. Uh, now let's just hope that uh, this inspires you to uh, look at the uh, look out through the window, look at the weather. Um, no matter if it's still a bit grey and overcast, it's certainly a lot brighter, a lot warmer than it has been the last dull few months. Uh, and, uh, well, if nothing else, let's encourage you to get out, go and do something, go for a walk, go for a bike ride, go for a run, go for a paddle, go for a sail. Uh, anything to do with self-powered travel, that's what these podcasts are all about. And we're hopefully uh, setting our diary up for this year to do a whole variety of things, which will unfold over a period of time. So until next time, folks, thanks very much for your time. Take care there and get out and enjoy it more. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each programme we produce, answer questions and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.